This recording is a ministry of Grace Bible Church of Pleasant Hill, California. We want to thank you for listening and invite you to visit us each Lord's Day on our campus located at 40 Cleveland Road, Pleasant Hill, California, or at any time at gbcph.org. Ephesians chapter 4, and the title of today's sermon is Work Hard to Serve Others. Work Hard to Serve Others. Well, a warm welcome to all of you, especially to those of you who haven't been with us recently, and for some of you who may be with us for the first time, uh, we want to greet you and acknowledge that you're here worshiping with us. Well, if you weren't with us last Sunday, Pastor Tony, our regular preaching pastor, is away today, and he'll be back next week. But last week, Pastor Tony reminded us that as Christ's church, we exist, quote, to magnify the glory of God by responding to his grace in worship, applying his grace in discipleship, and extending his grace in mission, close quote. And so this morning what we want to do is we want God to show us how we can achieve these goals by looking at the book of Ephesians. And I want to focus our attention specifically this morning on Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. And just to honor God and his word, I'm going to ask that all of you stand as I read out loud Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Father, we pray that you will send your spirit to illuminate our minds, our hearts, and help us to understand and apply your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, I don't know how many of you have been a part of our church before 2015, but Pastor Tony actually preached through the book of Ephesians, and he gave 50 sermons through this book in 2013 through early 2015. So that was eight to 10 years ago. So for those of you who weren't here, just by way of reminder, the book of Ephesians is a letter that Paul had written, and it was actually to be read not just to one church, but it was to be read and circulated through a number of churches in and around the area of Ephesus. And Paul begins in this book in chapter one by teaching us about the plan of redemption that God had. And he tells us in chapter one that we are chosen by the Father, we are redeemed by the Son, and we are sealed by his Spirit. And then he continues in chapter two by explaining to us that all of us, we were dead in our sins, but God made us alive in Christ. And then in chapter 3, Paul uncovers and he reveals a mystery that had been previously hidden that Jews and Gentiles together can worship God as one people and as one body. And so now we come to chapter 4 and Paul pivots and he transitions and he answers the simple question, so what? And this question is important because as a church, we cannot just have right orthodoxy. We must have orthopraxy. That is that right doctrine must lead to right living. And so Paul in chapter 4 begins these 16 verses, and there are some who say that chapter 4, verse 1 through 16, is the most concise statement in the New Testament about God's purpose for the church. 
So Paul starts in verse 1, and he tells the church, you are to walk worthy. And how are we to walk worthy? Well, first, in verse 2, we are to walk in humility. But not only in humility, he says in verse 3 to 6, we are also to walk in unity. In unity. And then in verses 7 to 10, he explains that because of our diversity of gifts that God has bestowed to each and every one of us, we are to use these gifts within the body, the church. And so then he begins verse 11 with a new sentence. And this sentence is a long sentence. It starts in the beginning of verse 11 and it spans to the end of verse 16. And Paul begins this sentence by saying that Christ Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ, he himself personally has given the church gifted ministers of the word. He gave the church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and then pastors, shepherds, and teachers. And now we come to verse 12. And Paul here gives us the answer to the question, what is the purpose of these gifted men? So we're going to spend this morning looking at verse 12, and we're going to organize our time by focusing on three points. Equip, exert, and edify. So let's start with point number one, equipped. And we see this in the first phrase of verse 12. Look down at verse 12. I'll actually read in verse 11 again. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, and here it is, to equip the saints. To equip the saints. This phrase sets the agenda for the work of gifted ministers of God's word. Paul is saying that church leaders, pastors and teachers, you are to equip the saints. Now this word that's translated to equip, it's actually a noun. It's a, it's a Greek noun, and it's only used once in the entire New Testament. And so it always is a challenge for us when the word is only used once in the New Testament, what exactly does this word mean? Well, the ESV translators translate this word to equip. The King James Version translates this word perfecting. Different dictionaries define this word with words like perfection, education, training, discipline. Now, this noun also has a related verb form, and this verb form is actually used a number of times in the New Testament. And we think that this verb means to restore or to put into its proper condition. The, uh, in the book of Matthew, chapter 4, it reads that Jesus saw two other brothers, James and John, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. That verb mending is the same verb that's related to this noun. Luke writes in Luke chapter four, ver or chapter six, verse 40, Luke writes, a student is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. The verb has been fully trained is the same word. Paul in the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Paul writes, Brothers, even if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. That word restore is the same word. And finally, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul again writes, As we night and day Keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. May complete is the same verb. 
So this verb has the notion of mending fishing nets that have been damaged but needs to be restored to its proper condition so it can be used again. It's used to describe a student needing to be fully trained to be like his teacher. This word means that when a brother is caught in sin, that we are to restore that person. There's that restoration. And this word has the notion that it is to complete what is lacking in one's faith. Well, even though this noun is only used once in the New Testament, it's actually found in four different ancient medical textbooks. And in fact, one medical textbook uses this word over 20 times. And it is a technical medical term used to describe the resetting of a bone that is broken or to reduce a dislocated joint. Now, as a physician, sometimes I'll see people who get hurt and once in a while I'll see someone who has fallen down and they brace their fall and they break their wrist. And so one of the things that we do sometimes is we'll have the patient put their hand on this apparatus where it'll hold their fingers and they'll leave their arm hanging. And in about 10 to 15 minutes, all the muscles relax and it gives the doctor the opportunity to put his hands on the wrist and literally force that bone back in place. But the task doesn't stop there for the doctor. The doctor is to hold that bone in place for at least a few minutes. So it starts to settle. And then the doctor will put a, a splint or a cast around that arm and that wrist and leaves that cast on for four or five weeks before removing the cast. So that's what this word to equip means. And so therefore, equipping the saints, it's not just handing someone a book. It's not just referring you to go on YouTube to watch a video. It's not asking you to ask a question on an AI chat bot. <clears throat> to equip the saints means that as church leaders, we are to come alongside you. We're to be hands-on. We're to be pressing firmly. We're to be spending time with you. It takes time, effort, and energy. And this is most, I think, best exemplified in our Lord Jesus Christ. You guys remember, how, many, how much time did Jesus spend equipping his 12 disciples? It wasn't a weekend. It wasn't a week, a month. It wasn't even a year. It was several years. And so Jesus, in these several years, was probably daily opening up Old Testament scripture and daily trying to explain and convince his disciples that the Old Testament was pointing to him as the promised Messiah. I mean, this is the second person of the Trinity. Couldn't he have just taken a few hours and have the disciples get it? No. He spent several years laboriously laboring over the word of God to train and equip his disciples. Well, notice if you look at the phrase here, it's to equip the saints. Uh, Paul doesn't use the word to equip the church or to equip members. He uses the description to equip the saints. And the word saints here, it just literally means holy ones, set apart for a purpose. One dictionary defines uh, this term as dedicated or consecrated to the service of God. And so get this, every single one of you, if you have been born again, saved, adopted by God, you are his saints and you have been set apart for a purpose. In my house, we have several pairs of scissors. There are the kid scissors, there's the grown-up scissors. 
But there's also a pair of scissors. They're kitchen shears. And they have been reserved for the purpose of food preparation. I don't want my four-year-old to say, I can't find the scissors and go and get the kitchen and grab the, chick- the, the kitchen shears to do whatever project he wants to do. The kitchen shears are set apart for a purpose. And brothers and sisters, you in this room, you are saints. You are set apart for a purpose. And this purpose is not a mundane purpose in this world. It is a purpose that is consecrated, set apart for the service of our almighty God. So, church, we need to equip the saints. And the equipping of the saints can start right here on this pulpit Sunday mornings. But it doesn't end there, does it? No, what we as a church try to do is we try to equip each and every one of you through things like our discipleship training program, where we learn about the Bible storyline and how the gospel applies to our everyday life as husbands, wives, parents, workers, and in the world. It's equipping in biblical counseling. There's some of you who have difficult marriages, difficult life problems, And our biblical counselors come alongside you and open up God's word to help walk you through and restore what has been broken. It continues in men's uh, Bible study, women's ministry, children's Sunday school, adult Sunday school, community groups, and even any informal group. You don't even have to have a name. Just getting together, opening up God's word together and encouraging one another. So, brothers and sisters, if we want Grace Bible Church to be a strong church, it starts with the church having its leaders who will equip the saints. And so my question to you this morning is, are we equipping you? Are we equipping the saints? And for all of us in this room, are we making ourselves available to be trained and equipped? Well, let's look at a second point here. It's not just to equip, but it's to equip to exert. To equip to exert. Look back down in verse 12. Scripture again reads, to equip the saints, and look at this, for the work of ministry. For the work of ministry. And this second phrase is subordinate to the first phrase. What do I mean by this? There are some people that read verse 12 and look at the three phrases here in what is sometimes referred to as coordinate phrases or parallel phrases. And why is this important? Well, it's important because it significantly affects the interpretation of this text. Because if these three phrases are coordinate and parallel, what we would then conclude is what Paul is saying is that our Lord Jesus Christ has given gifted ministers to do three things. For perfecting the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The leaders do it all. The picture would be like, if all of us in the sanctuary, we all crammed into a big bus and all of us take a passenger seat, put on our seat belts, and then we grab one of the pastors to get in the driver's seat and they're driving uh, driving the entire bus. But that is not what scripture is saying here. In these three phrases, the first phrase is with the Greek preposition pros. But the next two phrases uses the Greek preposition preposition ice. And what that means is that's Paul's way, because Paul didn't have a word processor. Some of us, we have word processors we can indent and we can put a little tab and say, hey, these two phrases are subordinate to the first. But Paul doesn't have the luxury here And so he uses a different preposition to show that it's subordinate 
to the first. Now, if Paul had truly wanted these phrases to be parallel, he would have used the same preposition. And we see a good example in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. You're probably familiar with this verse. It reads that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Pros teaching. Pros reproof. Pros correction. Pros training in righteousness. Four identical Greek prepositions to show a parallel of these four phrases. But God superintended Paul not to do that here in verse 12. It's subordinate. It's pros, ace, ace. And so what that means is that church leaders are to equip and train the saints, and it's so that the saints can do the work of ministry. The work of ministry is done by all of you here in the sanctuary. It's not just done by a select few. Every member in our church is to be trained for the work of service. And notice here the way that Paul describes it. This is a work. It's not rest. (laughs) It's not idleness. We are to work. And this work requires everyone's participation. This work requires time. It requires energy, effort, and sometimes sacrifice. You know, we live in a culture and society that just does not want to work, right? Some of us are just counting the years and the months into our retirement date, right? We grumble over homework, housework, physical work, mental work, but our Heavenly Father His original purpose for all mankind is for us to work. Work was a part of the human life before the fall in Genesis 2.15. And it's only because of our sin, it's only because of man's sin that work has been cursed with toil and hardship. It It was God who told Adam after the fall, by the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground. But it's always been God's plan for us to work. Uh, Paul says back in Ephesians chapter 2, we are his workmanship, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which, which God had prepared in advance, right? That we would walk in them. If you look back here in verse 12, what type of work is this? Well, the work identified here is service and ministry. Service and ministry. The NIV translates this word service, ESV as ministry. This word has a very broad meaning. One dictionary defines this word as functioning in the interest of the larger public, whatever that might be. Luke chapter 10, verse 40, Luke describes, but Martha was distracted with all her preparations. That word preparations is the same Greek word that's translated here as service and ministry. You guys remember in Acts chapter 6, verse 1, Luke writes again, there was grumbling from the Hellenists against the Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily service of food. That word service, same word. If you look down just a couple of verses later, the apostles described themselves saying, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the service of the word. Same word. And when Paul describes and explains about spiritual gifts and the different spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writes, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. 
and there are a variety of ministries. Again, the word ministries here, it's the same word. So this idea of service, this work of service and ministry is quite broad. Yes, it includes ministering the word of God, but it includes any and every type of service and ministry to one another, especially as it relates to physical needs and practical matters. And though it is broad, there is one thing that it's singularly focused on. And service and ministry is focused on people, individuals. It's not about the programs. It's not about the logistics. We don't judge the success of this work of service by the quality of the program and its logistics, but rather we judge success by the effort to love and serve people. Now this work may be hard, but God did not mean this work to be drudgery. Christian service should be joyful. And once you engage in it, you will experience spiritual blessing. It is a privilege. I mean, think with me for a moment. It's one thing to be a servant, but it's another to be servant to royalty. And as saints, you and I are servants to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Well, not only should this work not be drudgery, this work is not meant to be burdensome. It's not meant to be wearisome. And the reason is because our work is enabled by God's spirit. You remember, Paul wrote to the Philippians and he told them, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So there's the command and imperative that we are to work and to exert. But at the same time, it's God's spirit that enables us and gives us the energy and the capacity to exert. So we want a strong church. We want Grace Bible Church to be built up. Well, our church needs leaders who will equip its members who are willing to exert. Well, let's look at a third point here, and it's in the third phrase, and the third point is edify. Edify. Look back down in verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. For building up the body of Christ. And so here we find the purpose of equipping the saints for the work of service. The purpose is not bringing attention to self. The purpose is to build up the body of Christ. Now, this word that's translated to build up, it literally means a building or constructing a building or an edifice or structure. Earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20 and 21, Paul writes, having been built up on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building, same word, being joined together is growing into a holy sanctuary in the Lord. So obviously, Paul here is using this word figuratively. He's not, you know, we're not building an actual building. And so when used figuratively, this word gives a notion of spiritual strengthening, building up, edification. And he uses this word two more times in the chapter. Look down in verse 16. In verse 16, it just reads, from whom the whole body causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. That word building up is again the same word. And if you look down in verse 29, 
Paul again writes, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up. Same word. It's interesting here that Paul, in this short phrase, he actually mixes two different metaphors. Because he gives the metaphor of this building up or construction of a building or a structure. But we're not building a structure. He says we are building up the body of Christ. And so the second metaphor, it's a human body which is a little bit puzzling because you don't build a physical body. The body grows. You, you may nourish it, but you're not, you're not constructing you know, or adding to a human body. But this is the mixing that Paul gives. He's saying that the works of ministry, the purpose is to build up, construct the body of Christ. Now, Paul first uses this metaphor, body of Christ, in the book of Ephesians back in chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. But I think we can appreciate this metaphor more if you will turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So if you still have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And so Paul is writing to the Corinthians about spiritual gifts, and there's been a lot of misuse and division with the church at Corinth. And so beginning in verse 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, Paul writes to the Corinthians, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. And so what Paul is saying is that you as a church, you're like one body. There may be many different parts, different members, but you are one body. You're not two. You're not first hour people and second hour people. You're, you're not singles and married. Men, women, old, young, lovable people, not so likable people. No, we are all one body. But Paul expounds on this and gives us a few points to appreciate about the church using this analogy. First, we see here that using this analogy, this metaphor, that each member is important. Each member is important. Look down at verse 15, chapter 12. If the foot should say, well, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, for that would make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would make it any less, not make it any less a part of the body. For if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. So we see here what Paul is saying is that each member, each and every one of you is important. You don't have to be the eye to be important. If you're the ear, if you're the foot, you are just as important because you are functioning in a way that the other members cannot or do not. So each of us as members of one body are important. And get this, the way that you are made, your role right now, is exactly what God wants you to be. God did not make a mistake with you. God did not forget about you. God did not neglect you. God did not withhold any good thing from you. Everything about you as a member of his body, the church, is just as he chose, verse 18. So each member is important, but it doesn't stop there. Look at verse 21. Paul continues. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again to the head, to the feet, I have no need of you. 
But on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are, get this, indispensable. That is essential, vital, irreplaceable. Now let me just pause for a moment. We're not saying that God needs you. Because God doesn't need anyone. He's God. He is independent. We are dependent. So we're not saying that you are necessary to God. But get this though. Grace Bible Church needs you. The church needs you. I need you. You are not replaceable. Is it no wonder that our Lord Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 15 writes, what man among you, if he has 100 sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? Our Lord Jesus Christ has given gifts of gifted ministers to equip all of you, every single one of you, and you are important and you are vital. And as a church, if one of you is missing, if one of you is not here, we need to be concerned. We need to care. We need to love each and every one of you. You are important in God's eyes. You are vital in God's eyes. But it doesn't even stop there. Look down in verse 23. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. So what's Paul saying? What Paul is saying is that if you don't have the showy gift, if you're doing something that no one else sees, not only is it honorable, but it deserves even greater honor, spotlight. Don't ever think that your act of service, if it goes unnoticed, isn't important, vital, and it's not honorable. Quite the contrary. God holds it with even greater honor. And so, as God's holy ones, as God's saints, we are to be equipped to serve, to build up the body of Christ. But again, I have to pause and bring to our reality that not every single one of you in this room is a part of the body of Christ. There are some of you that are, are not in the ball game. You are still dead in your sins. And your trajectory right now is eternal punishment in hell because you have not come into a place in your life where you realize your helpless, sinful state, your spiritual bankruptcy, and your need for a Lord and Savior. And the scripture says that if you confess with your mouth, right, Jesus is Lord, and believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so if you have not made that commitment, that acknowledgement, that cry for salvation, I implore you today, make that decision today. Well, in conclusion, I just want to close by asking each of you three questions. So the first question is simply, are you equipping others in our church? And I'm not even just asking the pastors and the teachers. I'm asking our community group leaders, our ministry team leaders, Sunday school teachers, Parents, are you training others? Are you equipping others? And for all of us in this room, are we making ourselves available to be trained and equipped? 
Well, second, are you willing to exert yourself to serve others? Will you exert yourself to serve others? Or are you just craving comfort, ease of life? You want to just coast. Brothers and sisters, you and I have just one life to live. Just one. And so we want to make that count. And thirdly, are you living a life that edifies the body of Christ? Or are you just focused on your personal wellness? Or maybe just focused on your immediate family? Well, I understand. I mean, for many of us, we've got a lot of difficult things going on at home. There's a lot of challenges, and so even managing our our own household can be very difficult. But God has called each and every one of us to build up the body of Christ, and this must be intentional. God has made each and every one of you unique so that you can build up one another in a way that only you can do. And so as God's adopted child, you as a member of the body of Christ, you're important, you're vital, and you're honorable. And you can edify others by serving others, even if you're physically incapacitated, even if you're mentally incapacitated, even if you are in dire pain. You know, I close today with a story And it's a story of an act of service that happened 20 years ago that has forever changed my life. And 20 years ago, I was a part of a church plant, and it was the second year of our church plant, and our church had 50 to 70 members who were all singles in their 20s. And at the same time, about 10 miles down, there was another church And this church had a really nice building, but they only had 30 members left. And 90% of these members were 60 and older. It was just the pastor and one young couple that made up the group that was under 60. And so our two churches decided to partner together and to do our first vacation Bible school that summer. And so neither church had kids. There were no kids in the other church. We had one married couple with two kids. So we had two children in our church. And so the only way to have a VBS was to go out into the neighborhood and invite children to this VBS. And sure enough, we did. So we kind of plastered the neighborhood five to six blocks in every direction, passing out flyers, inviting families to send their kids to church or to this VBS. And the weekend before VBS was to start, the lead teacher had to drop out. And so unbeknownst to me, someone volunteered me and I was to be the lead teacher. And I thought, well, no sweat. There's only what, two kids, maybe five. I I think I can handle this. Well, on that first Monday evening, 50 kids showed up. They were rambunctious and they came in. And all of a sudden, beats of sweat went, uh, uh, dripped down my face. And apparently the first night went pretty well because these kids invited some of their friends. And so the next night there were a few more, third night. And on Thursday evening, we estimated that there were over 100 children packed into this church for this VBS. And I thought to myself, this was the moment. Thursday night, I'm going to put everything together. I had given trickles of the gospel truth, but Thursday, I was going to bring it all together, and I was going to invite a call for a decision to the kids. And I asked, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, would you, and you want to do so today, will you raise your hand And as you might expect, nearly every child raised their hand. 
And so for the rest of that evening, the 12 to 15 adult helpers that we had broke these kids into smaller groups and almost every single group, the majority of the children made professions of faith that day. And I remember at the end of the evening, I was, I was patting myself on the back. I was like, I did it. I did a great job. <laughs> Look at all this. And so it was getting late and we were getting ready to close up the, the church. And I walk into a kitchen very similar to the kitchen we have in our church. And I noticed that there were a plate full of cookies still wrapped in plastic. And I was a little confused. I said, well, refreshments are already over. What are these plate of cookies? Who are they for? And so one of the older ladies of the church that was assigned to close up the church came in and just sighed and said, oh no, I forgot to bring out these cookies. And I looked closer, these weren't store-bought cookies. They were homemade individual cookies. And so I asked the lady, well, who baked these cookies? And so the woman proceeded to explain that there's an elderly, frail woman in their church that had been so weak that she hadn't been able to come out to church for months. And when she had learned the news of this VBS, she committed to pray each and every single day for this VBS. And she didn't do anything for the whole week to harness the energy on Thursday morning to get up and to make homemade cookies that could be driven by someone to bring to church for refreshments for the VBS. And when I heard that, my heart broke. This woman didn't get to see any of the children, didn't get to, to meet anyone. Her cookies that she had made were left untouched, unseen, uneaten. And yet, in spite of my spiritual pride, God answered her prayers. You know, brothers and sisters, you may not ever know how your act of service might edify and build up the body of Christ. You may not even realize the impact until eternity. But brothers and sisters, may we encourage each other to work hard, to serve one another, equip, exert, and edify. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you. <laughs>